First and foremost, you always look at occupancy. But beyond that, you have to look at the year it was built. You have to look at what's the infrastructure. Are the pads big enough? Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization? If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you, and it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565, and he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out all the fluff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. And this is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. Spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad Porter, and a whole bunch of others. With us today, we've got someone who is investing in mobile home parks. So if you're interested in mobile home parks, then listen up. And if you're not, well, then don't listen. Go listen to another episode because we're going to be talking mobile home parks. First off, how you doing? Bob Crable. Doing good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure, my friend. A little bit about Bob. He is a sales agent at Capital Real Estate Partners. He has owned and been involved in managing personal investments for 20 plus years. He is, as I mentioned, focused on mobile home parks he, interestingly, was drafted by the New York Jets in the first round of the 1982 NFL Draft and played seven seasons in the NFL. And he is based in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can say hi to him at his company's website, capitalrealestate.org. With that being said, Bob, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Well, Joe, I was born and raised here in Cincinnati. I went to the University of Notre Dame before I was fortunate enough to be drafted by the Jets. But the uh, interesting part was when I got to New York, that was a time in history where most of the players did not stick around in the offseason. Walt Michaels pulled me aside and Walt said, you know, you got to go home. You got to find out what you're really going to be when you grow up because this doesn't last forever. So we wound up coming home, my wife and I, and actually started a business here. After my second year, I actually injured my knee for the first time and wound up coming back and we started a sportswear business here called Crable Sportswear. We are fortunate enough to grow that to a point where we were about a million five, two million in sales and a bigger company came along and they bought us and wound up developing that company into about a $30 million, I think was our tops, 27 to 30, somewhere in there. But as I had some success in that business, actually, prior to that, my father-in-law was actually a banker at the time, taught me a lot about the banking industry. And his job within the bank was to take care of some of the repos that they had. So 
When we were in high school, dated my wife in high school as well, and when we were in high school, we wound up being, I wouldn't call it slave labor, but we, we were some of the labor that he used in office buildings and in apartment buildings. We did the cleaning. We did the grunt work and wound up trying to get some of those apartments and offices in, in good enough shape where people could come in and live and, and use those over time. So anyway, he found these mobile home parks back in the late 80s, actually, and came to me and he said, Bobby, I think I, I found something that is really a home run. Well, back in the late 80s, probably through early 2000s, the mobile home industry was really pretty simple. People would buy their homes, they would move them into the parks, they would pay you lot rent, and everything was wonderful. People took care of their homes at that point, history of and the evolution of the industry. What we've discovered within the last probably five to seven years is the younger people that are coming into the marketplace who would like to buy a home, we certainly are in a position to sell them homes. But we've discovered that so many of them don't have the understanding of what it takes to take care of a home, and they've been very negligent. And we've gotten back, I can tell you, probably as many as 20 homes that we have sold over the last 10 years that have been not in good shape. wouldn't call them all trash, but they've been in bad shape. So what we've started doing to try to alleviate that situation is we put people in a position where they would rent homes from us, at least for the first year. If we are in a position where we can tell that they take care of that home, we will be happy to sell it to them. Let them be in a position where they take care of it. But up to that point, we inspect the home every month. We are in a position where we are protecting our asset and doing the things that we need to do to make sure that at least our newer assets are protected very well. Let's take a step back real quick. How many mobile homes or mobile home parks do you have, however you look at it? Well, right now we have about a 1,000 pads that we're involved in managing. A thousand pads that you're involved in managing. Now, are those yours that you own or do third-party management? We're all in an ownership position on those currently. Okay. So you got a thousand pads. What's the largest grouping of pads and what's the smallest grouping of pads? Our largest community is a community outside of, of Cincinnati here that is 268 pads. We came in, we started helping a bank manage that, and it's been about three or four years ago that we started helping a bank out, but I think it was about 45% occupied at the time. It's up in the 60s now, I believe it's 67% occupied is the number. Still got a long way to go, but we got in a position where we bought a very small portion of it simply so we could manage it, and we're doing everything that we can to work with the ownership group, the partners, to put them in a position where this is going to be a very viable opportunity for them. And it may still take another three or four or five years, but they keep bringing in homes and we're in a position where we find the people who are going to live in those homes. Very few of those. They don't believe in the same philosophy as I do as far as the rental side of things. We've talked about it, but they're in a position where they're selling the homes and carrying the notes. So that partnership is certainly a little less flexible. They want the old model more than they want the new one that we're trying to implement a little bit more.
from a standpoint of the smallest park that we have, we have one that actually is 115 pads. Currently, it's about 88% occupied. And it's a nice little park. And not everyone likes to live in the larger mobile home communities that are out there. We have some 400-pad communities in the area here. And some people just don't like that. They like the smaller setting. And we're in a position where, hey, we can provide that desire if that's what they want. The 268, are those the ones that you own or those 268 part of a larger grouping within that community? The partnership, what they're doing is they're financing for the people who buy. I don't know if you consider those to be park owned because they are carrying the notes on them, but they are not doing rental properties the way we are in some of the other parks. Just so it's clear in my head, the 268 pads, do you own those pads? Yes, I am part of the partnership. Okay, got it. So that 268 is almost 70% occupied. So my question is, if it's been two to three years and you were at 47% and now you're at 65%, what has it taken to get from 47 to 65 and why aren't you at 95 Well, why are we at 65 instead of 95? Well, that would probably come down to two issues. Number one, when we took over the community, it did not have a very good reputation. It had a reputation of drugs. It had a reputation of people not paying their rent, their bills. We wound up getting out. Oh, I would say we got in there. There were 200 plus homes in there. We wound up having to demolish or take to the dump, if I remember the number correctly, it was about 57 homes. Even though the occupancy was such, where the physical occupancy with the homes may have been 70%, the economic occupancy was down around 45 or 50%. So we had to clean it up first. Once we cleaned it up, then we had to come up with a a strategy for how we were going to start bringing homes in. We bring approximately three to five homes a month, of which we found out that we have sold those pretty regular. And I won't say that three to five. On average, I would say it's probably closer to three, where we're bringing in somewhere between 15 and 20 homes a year. I guess that would be closer to 30 that we're bringing in a year. But we've been able to sell those homes. And now we're starting to get to a point where We've developed a better reputation in the industry. I shouldn't just say in the industry, in the area. And with that reputation, people are starting to come in and ask more questions. Now, the partnership has its limits as far as financing the purchase of some of these homes and bringing them in as well. So that has been one of the stumbling blocks that we've encountered, as well as our reputation and things like that. What's been a big lesson that you've learned from this park's experience? Oh, wow. From this park's experience, you need to have a good reputation. And developing that is paramount, I think, in the longevity of a community. And you know what? It's the same thing, Joe, whether you are speaking of some of the suburbs of Cincinnati. Some of those suburbs have better reputations than others. The one I'm at that has actually 238 pads it has an outstanding reputation for schools. It's still a relatively rural area, but the community itself has 
come about and developed into, I should say, developing into a nice place to live. And once people understand that and see that, they're willing to pay a little bit more for lot rent and they're willing to give it a shot. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh, my best real estate investing advice. Um, Look at each opportunity as it comes along. Obviously, every deal is different. And when you get involved, jump into it. There's a lot that goes on within a deal. But when you dive into it, give it everything that you got, your best effort. Continue to learn. Continue to develop where you are. You know, I'm 57 years old, and I can tell you what, I have a, a young man that I just worked with in a deal who was a former student of mine back when, when I was teaching. And I'll tell you what, he was the teacher in, in this deal, and I learned from him. And it was really kind of neat because I was able to talk to him not as a teacher to a student, but as a man to a man. And when you can develop relationships whether it be with another agent, whether it be with an investor, whether it be with anyone who comes along, just keep an open mind because there's always an opportunity to learn something from somebody. What'd he teach you? Oh my goodness. He didn't teach me about 1031 exchanges, but some of the intricacies of a 1031 exchange where you don't always have to have this set up where it's all like kind stuff but you can do a deferred 1031 exchange, I believe is what it's called. So you've got time to be able to work with these things. And, and he set it up. And actually, he didn't set up. The attorneys ultimately set it up. But he's the one who exposed me to it. And I'll tell you what, I went to the internet as soon as we started talking about it. And I'm looking at possibly trying to, to use it with, with another client. When you take a look at a mobile home park for an acquisition, what are some of the things that you'll immediately look for? First and foremost, you always look at occupancy. But beyond that, you have to look at the year it was built. You have to look at what's the infrastructure. Are the pads big enough? I just came across a park that was going to auction up in the Dayton area and went up and looked at the park And after I looked at it, I really didn't take it any further. It was in a decent area, in a good manufacturing area, but I didn't take it any further because, quite honestly, most of the pads were less than what it took to put a 70-foot home on there. A 70-foot home is almost beyond that. When you get smaller than that, people are starting to look and say they don't want those homes these days. I guess there are some 66s out there, but we look at trying to make sure that we can get 70-foot homes on these pads, and not just on the the existing pads, but is there enough room to put a 70-foot home? Because now in, in the state of Ohio, they started new laws. They put in some new codes as far as how close homes can be to each other. So some of the older parks are in a position where I think this park was 145 pads. You wouldn't be able to fill it up completely because of the length that the homes would be from each other, which would violate the Ohio Manufacturer Housing Code. Those are the things that, like I said, whether it's city water, whether it's well water, I don't think because of my knowledge of parks that I have seen that have well water, I don't think I would ever be involved in one that has well water. I'm not worried about private sewer facilities, 
We have three of them that have private sewer facilities right now. But, uh, you know, we're in a position where we understand what it takes to care for those, and we have the maintenance people to be able to do that. So as long as you're able to, to really foresee some of the issues that might go on, I think you can make some strong judgments on that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, can't you just pour a little bit of concrete to extend the pad? But then you mentioned that there's a law that restricts how close. Exactly. The more you know about the industry, and I've been very fortunate. To, you know, I work with my son-in-law, who is probably the brains behind the operation, but he continues to teach me. He, he's taught me negotiation techniques. I'm a little bit more of a bull in a china shop type of negotiator, Joe. He's quite a bit more savvy than I am. Just watching him has allowed me the opportunity to be able to learn. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do the best ever lightning round. I was pausing for for a dramatic effect. I like that. (laughs) All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you looking to earn passive income through turnkey rental properties? If so, then go check out hipsterinvestments.com. Allie Boone's the founder of Hipster Investments. It's a aesthetically pleasing website, and you'll know what I mean when you go check it out. I just love the color palette. In addition to that, though... Allie has some wonderful content on both passive investing through turnkey rental properties as well as how to design your life. Go to hipsterinvestments.com. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book I read. I would say that that was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Best ever personal growth experience. What'd you learn from it? Best ever personal growth experience. Probably when I was involved in athletics, when I was playing football, the best growth experience is to understand that you've got to be in a position where there are no limits in what you can do. And I know that sounds kind of pie in the sky-ish, but we're in a position where you grow every day, you learn more every day, and because of that, you're going to become not only a better business person, but you're going to become a better person overall. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal I'd done was one of the mobile home communities we have just north of Cincinnati. Bought it. I did this with my father-in-law. This was probably the first deal that he was in a position where he brought me in and kind of put me under his wing. But it was a deal where we paid, oh golly, I think we paid about $2 million for it. We got a partnership together on it as well. And we had an offer recently for $7 million on that community. I think I'm in a position where I can say that's probably the best deal that I was involved in. What are you going to do with it? We're going to hang on to it still. The partners in it still want to hang on to it. We're kind of running low on our basis, but that would be one that we would take and look at a 1031 exchange to try to find another real estate asset that obviously is similar in terms of value, but I don't know if I would look at something that would continue to be as, as high maintenance as the mobile home community best ever way you like to give back? I hope that my giving back is not just in what I'm able to financially give, but hopefully being able to help people. I think I talked to you before about some of the things we do in the parks. We try to put together, we had a tutor that would come in and work with some of the kids after school, and she has had to move on since, but try to continue, whether it be the tutoring program, whether it be kids that are able to come in and we're able to feed them something. We've got a lot of opportunities with people who want to help the kids, especially within the community. 
And there's so many people who still have the stigma of the mobile home parks of being, you know, low income. And, and it is economical. There's no doubt about it. But, but from a standpoint of where they are with the people who live here, we have great people who live here. We have some people who need some help. And we're in a position where hopefully we can continue to help them, like I said, both financially as well as with some of the skills that we can improve with. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? Getting my real estate license in 1983. I was too impatient where I got rid of that before I started a business. Very happy with how I did the Crable Sportswear thing. I wish I would have hung on to that real estate license and worked at that a little bit harder. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? At my website, which is bob.crable, C-R-A-B-L-E, at capitalrealestate.org. Well, Bob, thank you for being on the show, talking about mobile home parks, talking about what to look for, some things to watch out for, like the size of the lots and making sure it can fit at least a 70-foot home and keeping in mind the restrictions. Also talking about how to take a mobile home park from 47% to almost 70% and the challenges along the way to get it from 70% to 95% and talking us through all those details. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk to you soon. Are you looking to earn passive income through turnkey rental properties? If so, then go check out hipsterinvestments.com. Allie Boone's the founder of Hipster Investments. It's a aesthetically pleasing website, and you'll know what I mean when you go check it out. I just love the color palette. In addition to that, though, Allie has some wonderful content on both passive investing through turnkey rental properties as well as how to design your life. Go to hipsterinvestments.com.